Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Five days, amigos. Five days for what, you ask? Oh, you don't need to ask. You know I'm freaking out about the five-day countdown until fall hunting season kicks off here in my home state of Iowa. Now, I won't be able to pound the ground for rabbits and squirrels on opening day, but you better believe I have some plans lined up for hitting it hard for doves that opening weekend with my best friend Weston. We might even mix in a little bit of rabbit and squirrel action along with it. For all of you other states that are already chasing whitetails, I am fighting back my jealousy. But honestly, truly, I do wish you the best of luck. But I'm still waiting to see the onslaught of grip and grins on social media. Let's pick it up here, people. Speaking of grip and grins, today's guest is an expert at them. That's because he seems to get the big old slobs year after year. I'm talking about working class bow hunter team member Cole Young. Cole jumps in on the show to help us understand how to locate and hunt the oldest age class deer on a farm. Wait a minute, is that something that new hunters should be worried about? Well, probably not right now, but eventually, sure. Remember, my goal is to keep you hunting long into the future. Learning and dreaming about accomplishing the feats of veteran hunters is what keeps us interested. Believe me, I'm right there with you. Furthermore, if we put the things Cole teaches us in this episode into practice, we will not only be able to hunt old age class bucks someday, but we'll be able to harvest more deer of all age classes all along the way and increase our chances of harvesting a deer year after year. Now, let's get down to business because it's time to learn from episode 16 of the First Gen Hunter podcast, Finding and Hunting Mature Bucks with Cole Young. Welcome back, all you first geners. We got a really good episode tonight. Now, I got some bad news. Just because, you know, I think it's because I'm I'm just putting the the final touches on episode 13 to release at midnight tonight, and so I'm running into some bad luck here. But Brandon, yep, you're all gonna be sad. Your favorite host can't be with us tonight. Rumor is. Had a bit of a rough day at work. I won't spill the beans on what all in, is entailed in that nightmare fiasco that he had, but maybe we'll get a good story out of him at some point. But had to work late. Some stuff changed around with his schedule, so he couldn't be here. But that's okay because the good news way surpasses the bad news. And the good news is we have an interview with a guy that I have really been looking forward to talking with. And um, 
I guess I could say this. He's a veteran to podcasts. He's already uh, done one interview that I listened into uh, recently. And not only is the guy a natural at doing podcast interviews, but he's a natural at killing bucks and not just any bucks. Big old grandpa, you know, some people might call him swamp donkeys, whatever you want to call them, toads. The guy kills them. And he kills them every year. And he he knows he knows enough about the buck that it's not just one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, hey, I was walking back to my truck and who do you what do you know? You know this giant buck that I'd never seen before. No, no, no. The guy's got history with these deer. He's got their sheds a lot of the time. He is a big buck boogeyman, and his name is Cole Young. Cole, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. I'm I'm glad you're here. It was kind of a, a tough thing to work out. I w- we were supposed to do this interview a couple days ago, and uh, I was in New Hampshire at the time, and we ended up staying an extra day, and so that kind of changed plans around. I didn't have as good of an internet uh, signal there as I do here, so I didn't want to mess up the the interview. So Cole was gracious enough to to reschedule and i was really looking forward to it in fact i i think this is the longest uh time i've had like a interview script typed up so you should feel honored man i had this thing done like a week ago and (laughs) i was excited to ask you these questions because it's kind of a selfish one i gotta say this is all stuff that i'm really interested in i don't think i'm quite ready to to maybe take it to the level that you have yet but maybe in a couple years here i'm I think it's something I could I could really get into. So, but all along the way, there's all kinds of just great information on how to find bucks and how to get them on the ground, get your tag notched. And um, Cole is is a wealth of information on that. So let's get into it. And um, I think in doing so, I kind of want to mention that not only has Cole been kind of doing this on his own, but he's been rubbing shoulders with some uh, pretty impressive folks in the whitetail world. Cole, could you kind of tell us about your work with uh, Working Class bow hunter here real quick before we uh, talk about your bio as a hunter? Yeah, so I, I kind of just stumbled into Working Class. I, I work with Kurt, and he kind of just approached me, and, and we just hit it off right away. I mean, I can sit and talk about whitetail hunting for pretty much all day if you let me but (laughs) um so it was kind of a good relationship to start with and um he asked me to be part of the team working class and and i'm just glad that i've been able to you know perform for him and and uh they're they're a great group of guys uh like i said maybe maybe a hair rough around the edges but they are basically the grandfathers of hunting podcasts. I mean, if you look at it, it yeah. they've been around but before anybody else. I mean, before Drury's, before a, a lot of the big ones. So, yeah. um, and they're, they're great to listen to. They got that added bit of comedy in and definitely that if you listen to this and you're, you know, Billy Joe lunch bucket and, <laughs> just go hunt on the weekends like that that's uh they're the group of guys for you and 
it's all like it is. And, and that's definitely what kind of brought me to them. So, um, if I didn't mention them, I'd be doing myself a, a disservice because they're, they're the only reason that I even do what I'm doing now. So, no, man, that's, that's, that's all true stuff. They, I I've tuned in and, and, um, you're right. They're down to earth guys. They, they kind of keep things in in perspective, you know, they're, they're a big name for sure in the, the hunting industry. And, and, uh, yet they, they're still guys that go to work every day and they're, they're still, um, they're still telling us not just stories, you know, sometimes it's just nice to hear a good hunting story, but they give a lot of tips and, and they bring on good interviews and, and, uh, well, like you, you were one of them. And I, I'll tell you what, I learned a lot of stuff from, from tuning in. So I'm actually going to make a few changes to my approach this fall based on some of the stuff I've, I've heard on their show. So yeah, I'm really, really glad you're willing to, to lend us, uh, your time tonight. And, um, I think our listeners are, are, uh, they, they probably need to be warned right now. You know, when I'm a teacher and, and, uh, I teach, one of the classes I teach is AP biology, which is, that's a pretty tough class. You know, that's a, that's a college, that's a freshman in college level course. And, uh, when I get to a really tough concept, I, I tell everyone, you know, I'm like, all right, this is going to be a tough lesson today, but you're all capable of learning the material. But that means you need to like take your, uh, um, power pills right now and uh, you need to get off your phone and you need to take out your notebook and you need to buckle down because class is in session and that's how i feel about this one this is this is some high level hunting stuff however cole is a as real of a guy as it gets and i think another thing that's handy here is Cole isn't an old man, so his his youthful years of just getting into hunting aren't that long ago, and so he can he can uh, if you are an inexperienced hunter, he can kind of empathize or sympathize. I can't remember what the right word is there, but he can do both of them. That's how good he is, and uh, he can he can kind of bring it down to a level that we can all learn. But also, if you're a veteran hunter, you absolutely should stay tuned in here because, um, man, just go on. Cole's social media pages sometime and uh the dude's not just blowing smoke he kills big bucks and uh we can all pick up something that will be really helpful um if we uh stay tuned into to what what cole has to say in this one so let's go ahead and dive into your bio as a hunter when you first uh were starting out um was it something that like your family was already doing was it kind of a heritage thing for you or was it something you were like hey uh dad i would like to go hunting or did you just kind of start taking yourself on your own how, how did you get into it yeah so it was totally a your quintessential heritage man like my grandpa hunted my dad hunted my brothers hunted well one of my brothers hunted but my my brothers are seven and nine years older than me so i mean my brother's in, you know, high school. Like, I mean, the, the the earliest I remember, you know, my brother's in high school and he's going hunting and I'm going to, you know, grade school and and I wanted to go. 
you know, yeah. and I, I always helped my dad out farm and it was just always, always that way. So, you know, by the time I was seven years old, you know, I was begging to go. So, right. And I think the first time, the first year my dad let me go, I think I was nine. And, uh, I just basically rode along. I sat, I sat with my brother in the morning and then I rode along during, you know, you, I mean, back, back then you, you sit in the morning and then you go drive around and you eat some eggs and bacon and, uh, or, a or an egg sandwich and you take a nap and then you go back out and yep. then on, on Saturdays and Sundays you push and I just, I couldn't get enough of it. So when I was, when I was nine, I took my hunter safety course and, uh, and then, uh, when I was 10 years old, I helped my dad. We built a little blind out of some woven wire fence and a couple pallets. And, uh, I shot my first deer that year and, and it took a little doing because <laughs> I was nine years old and, <laughs> you know, I, I had a, not to say I had a junk gun, but I, it wasn't the best. So it, it took me a few cracks, but I finally got my first go and, and I was, I was super proud and it was, I don't, since I was, since I was 10, I shot a deer every year. So. Wow. That's, that's awesome, man. And, you know, I, I had in my notes here to ask you, but it's already pretty clear. You got, you were hooked immediately. That's, that's, um, that's really yeah, it cool. Was like a, it was like a 75 pound doe, but I was <laughs> just tickled pink. And I mean, it was, it was definitely, and, and I shot her on a push and had to put a mercy shot on her, but you know, that's, that's hunting. And that's, it was good for me to see that right off the bat. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, clear back at, I think it was episode four. Uh, Brandon and I talked about that reality, you know, everything's not pretty, as you just said. And, you know, some people might look at that and be like, oh, that must have been traumatic for you as a nine-year-old. But I think it's different people handle, handle stress like that differently, you know. And for you, obviously, it was it was the right time for you to witness that and and uh you were able to handle it with wisdom above beyond your years i would say and say you know what that's just how things are sometimes in the woods you know and and uh it's good to face that as a as a hunter and and still understand that we have an important role for for helping manage the wildlife and and um uh you know it's not always it's not always easy but definitely worth it so that's great, man. Yeah, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I respect wildlife to the um, oh, degree, yeah. but don't get me wrong. It's, it's a blood sport. And, uh, if you want to kill big deer, you, you got to be out there to kill them. That's right. That's right. So, yep. Yep. You're playing for keeps. That's for sure. Exactly. So when you were first starting out, you already kind of mentioned a couple of the hurdles here, you know, you're probably felt like through much of your life with having 
older brothers like that that were that much older than you you were playing a lot of catch up and um you know you mentioned you didn't have the greatest gun and just kind of had some of those hurdles but really as you were coming into your own as a hunter do you remember like any particularly tough challenges that you came across i think as a kid you know that like 10 to you know 15 years old i think the hardest part for me as a kid was was just staying in the stand Mm. you know it is the patience factor and i i struggled with that for sure and you know, it, it it was hard for me to sit in the stand in the morning till, you know, eight thirty nine o'clock. Right. My, my dad would, my dad would typically walk me to, you know, help. You know, he would, he would pick a stand that was further away. You know, so he could, he could walk with me in the mornings. Right. And then he'd, he'd come back by, when it was time to leave, and he'd scoop me up. You know. Yeah. I mean, that was the hardest part for me, but I'll tell you what, my dad made me, I feel like he did a good job of pushing me to my limit, you know, where, yeah. Where we, I mean, back in those, it sounds weird to say that, but back in that day, <laughs> he, we had like two way radios, you know, we didn't have cell phones. Right. So, yeah. you know, I was bugging him from, you know, you got the, you got the early morning crowd that passes by of deer and, you know, about 30 minutes after that, you know, I'm bugging my dad, you know, on the two-way radio, like, hey, I'm ready to get out of standard. Hey, I'm cold. Or, hey, I'm... And, and that was the hardest part for me was, was trying to sit and stand or just stay out there and, and be productive. Well, even just stay out there just so my dad or my brother could sit as long as they want. And, right. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little kid at that point, so it... That I would say that was one of my toughest hurdles, but as soon as I discovered a compound bow, I I think that was over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about that here a little bit more with, with this next question. So and and I don't wanna dismiss that either. You know, a lot of times we think of that problem as, as being a I guess maybe a little kid's problem, right? It's something that affects a, a kid. They're, they get cold easy. They get hungry easy. And, you know, we start whining and stuff when we're kids. But I think that that same thing still applies to hunters that don't quite maybe fulfill their dreams or reach their goals is they don't they don't stick out the discomfort to be in the woods at the right time you know brandon and i have always talked about when you feel like giving up give it five more minutes you know just and it's so true i mean i haven't been hunting near as long as you have but i i can tell you that in my years there's there's been so many times where it's like that very last moment that had i gone back early or been messing around with getting out of the stand or something I would have missed out on, you know? And, and so patience, I think is still a big limiting factor. Uh, I don't know, maybe you would disagree with that, but, but, um, I think just having the patience to, to stick it out is, is a big, yeah, you, you gotta have the discipline. I mean, it, and I'll tell you what changed my mind on that. This one, one day me and my dad were walking out. I was like, 13 or something like that. Yep. 
and uh, we're walking. My dad used to always spray vanilla on the bottom of his boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, that this, this is pre pre scent spray on your boots, right? And uh, he used to always spray vanilla on his boots, and we we're I told him that I was cold, and we walked out a little bit early, and we didn't walk seventy five yards, and Booner. <laughs> right on his boot trail and we bumped him and that was it that was for me that was the moment i was like you know what i'm gonna sit in the stand another 15 minutes even if i got frostbite on my toes yeah like, that that's the kind of disc i mean i've had some moments where it was probably unsafe to be out there but <laughs> you're right I, yep I, I've, I've stuck it out you know those those 20 below days in, in January where you're like, well, they're on the food. I got to, I got to stay five more minutes when you really should probably be going home. But right. that's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff we do for that caliber of a deer. But you know, that's, if you want to shoot deer that caliber, that's, that's what you do. That's right. That's right. And so that, that serves as a perfect point here to, to kind of talk about that with you. It, you know, for, for guys like you that, that really, and I think it's important here that listeners understand that, that when I say guys like you, it can be easy to view hunters such as yourself, experienced hunters that, that, are looking for those specific age class deer as maybe ungrateful for just a good opportunity or somebody who's just at a level they can't reach you know on and on but overall this this kind of almost like i don't want to say negative because i don't think negative is the right word but maybe like a a pessimistic outlook like oh yeah well that works for cole but it would never work for me you know and the more I'm around guys like you, I realize how untrue that is. And you're a regular guy who loves to, to hunt deer, but you also love, and you kind of just described it there. You're willing to stick it out through these harsh conditions. You love the challenge. And when, when was that point in your life as a, as a deer hunter where you started to kind of evolve in that sense where it's like, okay, you know, I've been, I've been killing some two and three year old deer, maybe, maybe even, uh, maybe even like, uh, when you're first starting like a year and a half old buck or something. Um, but you start, you, you got handy enough at at killing them to where you're like, I want to try to try to push myself a little bit more when when did that kind of start taking place for you i would say that i mean kind of the turning point for me was where i i think i bought my first trail camera in like 2004 or five okay one of them like i mean moultries that's like the size of your head (laughs) i mean it it's just a monster of a camera yeah i set it out and first picture is this deer that's two and a half. Maybe I, I we think he was two and a half then, but he's two and a half year old eight pointer and get pictures. And I show my dad and I'm like, man, look at this deer. And he's like, yeah, that's a, that's a good young deer. And I was just like ate up. I was like, man, I, 
I think we should shoot that deer. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't think we should shoot that deer. And I mean, you got to think this is time when yeah. everybody's still pushing and, yep. you know, a, a four and a half year old deer is a giant. Right. But we're, so I get a picture of that deer and I ended up, I think didn't shoot. So we, we did a little push that year and that deer just walked right by me at like 10 yards and I didn't shoot him. And it was, I mean, it was just as fulfilling as, as shooting to me. And then the, the, the whole story of that deer is that I ended up shooting him as a seven and a half year old. Wow. Booting and that was, I had like seven sheds to him. And that, that's awesome. Where, I mean, in between there, I shot, so I had, I had let all these young deer go and, and I ended up shooting like a hundred and I think it's like 159 and seven eighths, but Man. he's got like 15 points, but he's only like 14 inches wide, just super massive and yeah. jumped everywhere. And I, I shot that deer with a Parker youth bow at like 37 yards or something like that, 36 yards. And wow. that, that was the, that whole era right there was the, the turning point for me. And, I don't know if it was a curse or if it was <laughs> helpful, but I mean, I only shot two bucks before then. Before wow. I shot that deer. And I was, everybody's like, you know, you know how it goes. You, you shoot a big deer. Everybody's like, well, it's going to be hard to beat this one, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I was, I was out, I'm extremely competitive and, and I was out to, you know, prove those people wrong. So right. I got 170 entry the next year. So then, <laughs> then it was then it was tough for people to to say that so and right that's, that's the kind of stuff that kind of pushes me to do you know to keep going you know anybody who tells you you can't you're not going to shoot nothing bigger or it's going to be tough to beat that you know just if you got the audacity it's you make it happen. Yeah, for sure, man. That's that's so cool how that how that played out for you and and again, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying where people can just kind of generalize, you know, what a unique story and and um man, I can't think of a better way to get into like you said, maybe it's a curse, but but uh it really it set it set you up for this unique trajectory as a as a hunter that that um you know many of us think is is impossible but like you said you know just get that competitive drive going and and uh do what it takes and you know i i think that's something that that we can almost do too as as hunters is create these monsters in our head that that are insurmountable you know like oh man a seven and a half year old buck he's gonna wind me the second i you know get out of my truck and he's gonna be on to the neighbors and i think so i mean i don't want to take away credit from deer deer are incredible animals i've seen them do incredible things but they're still looking for a fairly short list of of needs to be met you know they're trying to a stay alive and so um they're they're 
looking for food they're looking for water they're looking for a place to stay warm in the winter and um, b during that time of year they're looking for uh, a chance to uh, pass on their their uh, specific genetic traits and so there's there's normal rutting behavior and everything else and i think sometimes we make it more complicated than that and so doing what you do we almost make it we almost we almost get lost in the details and make it something that that we feel is is un, unattainable but you know listen to a guy like you it's like no you know what I did I did kill an awesome buck but I'm going to go back and kill a bigger one and I think that's it that's the attitude we should all go into every season with so that's awesome man that's that's really great well one thing I do I do want to kind of come back around to a little bit maybe by the end is is I know you have uh you have three kids and um you know I'm sure that you're you're hoping to pass on that hunting heritage to them but maybe we can kind of work that in here as we kind of talk about some of these other things um how you're you're planning to do that you know you're a working man you're a you're a big time bow hunter uh, but you're also a family man so we we definitely want to want to hit that aspect of it too but let's go ahead and and dive into this a little bit deeper here with targeting these specific bucks and i think a good place to start is people when they they hear and I'll, I'll, I'll let's be more specific here maybe fairly new or or experienced hunters who haven't really like haven't really had the time or haven't put in the time to take it to the next level when they hear about a guy like you it's all it can almost cause you to feel like man i'm i'm not doing enough things right or i don't even know where to start you know that and Cole is is somehow doing something that I will never be able to do. But I think that that kind of goes back to not having a really deep understanding about the kind of things that go into it. So let's go ahead and, and start with that right away. And I think probably the, the most basic thing to start with here is how do you actually identify a mature buck? Is it something that usually is the years in the making or is it something you pick up on trail camera? Is it something you're looking at the size of tracks or maybe the size of beds or maybe where he's bedding? What kind of what kind of things are you doing so that you know that this deer that you're kind of picking up his sign or, or you're seeing is of the age class and caliber that you're wanting to put on your uh, shooter list? Yeah, so that's uh, probably a, a dynamic question for sure. But, I mean, I would say that 75% of the deer I have some sort of history with. I And I would say, you know, half of that goes into, um, you, know, you know, trail cameras, but probably more so just encounters Hmm. um you can you can and and as far as age and deer that's something that's just going to come the longer that you hunt you you can tell and and the best way to do that to gauge that is is if you have a two and a half or three and a half year old buck in the field and a five and a half year old buck comes in the field 
you you can tell the difference. Right. I mean, it's it's the absolute sheer mass of the deer. I mean, it's the body size. Yeah. And I mean, heck, this year I shot a seven and a half year old buck that we had seven or eight sheds to. Wow. I, mean, I named him. We named him Randy, but he, he was just a genetically inferior deer mm-hmm. that just had slipped through the cracks and just he was a ghost. But that deer is the biggest bodied deer I've ever. It, he's the tallest deer standing wise that I've ever seen in my life. That's I mean, awesome. There, there was a year and a half old spike in the field with him. And I mean, his back was a foot taller. <laughs> and that, that's the, that's the kind of stuff you got to look for is, is just absolute body size and how the deer carry themselves. You know, I mean, if you see a 130 inch 10 pointer and you see him every day, you sit a certain stand more than likely he's not a mature deer. He's not, the dominant deer in the area and i mean kind of going backwards i we talked about this before i i think that you need to you need to set a realistic goal not every farm is going to produce six and a half seven and a half year old deer and if you're happy i mean if you're happy with shooting 120 130 inch deer maybe you're shooting your first buck I mean, just set that goal and, and go out and do it. And you're, in it. you're definitely not going to get any grief from me. Right. I, I try not to do that. If I'm, I'm obviously doing something different than you, but I'm not going to take that away from people. It, that's not how I was raised. And that's not how us as hunters should, should look at each other. If you, if you set a goal, and you reach that goal to me that's that's good enough for me it's, yeah i'm not a i'm not a fan of of antler shaming if you it, if you tell me that you're going to shoot 170 incher and then you drop a three and a half year old yeah i'm i don't necessarily care for you or <laughs> what you're trying to do right. but if you go out and say hey i'm hunting public land and my goal is to shoot uh pope and young deer and you go out and you whack a two and a half year old 10 point and it scores 127. I'm going to say, good for you. Right. You did what you did, what you set out to do. Right. So it, it's, uh, for me, it's just a matter of perspective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you perceive as a trophy, that's, that's good in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Well and said. It, it it took me a little bit to get there, but <laughs> as I as I get older, I I tend to tend to empathize a little bit, and and I know that I didn't just wake up shooting giants. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's really good information. I'm glad you put that on there because, again, I think I think that helps people remember that that um this is something that's that's attainable if you really put your mind to it and and the people that are doing it such as yourself that are that are targeting and killing these these old age class bucks that they they acknowledge it's not for everybody i really enjoy it but 
hey, if you're happy, like you said, shooting those 120s, 130s, you know, that's great. More power to you. And, and, well, uh, and my, my first year with a bow, I mean, I shot a eight pointer that's like 118 inches, something like that. And then I shot a six pointer that was, you know, nothing. Right. And we found that deer and I tagged it and my dad goes, you're done. <laughs> and that's how I, that's how I learned about the two buck rule. Yep. You know, I, I, I was a 15 year old kid, you know, riding my bike to the stand and, and that's, I've figured out that, Oh, like I'm, I'm done. And it's October 27th, you know? And I was <laughs> like, Oh, I'm going to keep hunting. And then, you know, gun season come around and 170 inch 10 pointer, I just let him walk right in front of me. Oh, and man. I told my dad and he's like, and that's why you keep a tag in your pocket. Yep. And that, that and that's how you got to learn. And I understand that, that not everybody's got, you know, never, not everybody's got that influence that is going to tell you that. But, and that's why I, I really like to share that story because it, it helps if it can help, you know, one guy that, got a bow in his hand and he's already shot a buck the first week of October and the mediocre deer walks by and they're like on the fence about it you know that that's that was my experience so right, right. <laughs> to, to take that and hopefully that can help one person to, to keep a tag in their pocket and and be able to keep hunting yeah well said man that's <laughs> I think I think a little bit of what you said there is is the key part. You said if you're on the fence about something, and I think that goes really well with what you're you were basically saying. If it's a trophy to you, then it's a trophy. Period. And so if you're sitting there, you're like, hmm, I'm not sure if I if this is really what I want to take. Then probably isn't the best idea to take it. And and like you said, wait wait for that that other opportunity and i think that it's safe to say that because if you are a brand new hunter and you don't have that first buck already bagged early october and we'll say that same buck that's that six pointer that didn't score anything crazy when he walks by you'll be so happy just to see that deer that there won't be any second thoughts on it and so we have to acknowledge the seriousness of of what we're doing and and we don't want to we don't want to cheapen the value of of any animal that we that we pursue so i think that's all really excellent information there for for a new hunter um so once you do identify and, and you talked a little bit about you know using using trail cams and and uh seeing the deer while you're you're out there actually hunting and and uh you're observing when do you really start your scouting for the next deer season and what's kind of your progression as you work into that do you wait till sheds do you um, keep cameras out year-round do you uh, do a lot of scouting while you're also doing other stuff like maybe mushroom hunting or turkey hunting or something like that what's what's kind of your routine as far as when you begin scouting for the next season and uh, what kind of activities do you mix in with that scouting for today's tip of the day we're going back to 
our more experienced host, Mr. Brandon Martin. He's got a great tip on using trail cams. Obviously a big part of what Cole is doing here with targeting these specific mature bucks. A lot of that comes from Intel, some of it from glassing a, a field uh, with with uh, binoculars or a spotting scope, but a lot of it is stuff that's going on when he can't be there because he's got a job mm-hmm. and he's got a family. He's got a real-life yep. thing going that doesn't allow him to be in the field all the time. So trail yep. cameras are a very important tool, and Brandon's got an excellent tip on how to best utilize those cameras without harming your hunting opportunities down the road. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Thank you, Kent. Yeah, I mean, hey, guys, it's all about preserving the integrity of your property, you know, and so when we're talking about preparing for the season, you know, and even in season, you know, when you're talking about setting up cams, pre-rut, you know, you're talking, you know, the whole gamut. Um, You could be talking about setting up deer stands. You could be talking about, you know, any of these things that could be happening prior to the season or even during the season as you're getting prepared for the season to change. One of the big things, super simple, you know, watch those watch those fronts that come in. If you're comfortable with it, get out there in the in the in you know, it could be some crazy weather, you know, in terms of rain. You know, obviously I don't, I don't want someone going out if it's thundering and lightning out, but you know, it could be some windy conditions, some rainy conditions. Those are the best conditions. If you can get out and do your scouting, do your hanging of stands, do your changing of trail cams in particular, what we're talking about, during that type of time frame. You know, not only um, is that going to be the type of time frame where many times, especially in wind, deer are going to move a lot less, so you're going to you know, risk spooking them less? Not only that, the scent side of things, and when you're talking about preserving the integrity of properties, um, what you're talking about really mainly is pressure and then, of course, scent, which is, which is of course, very much related to the pressure side of things. Um, so the rain and those windy systems, when they come in, really helps you cover your tracks. You know, you're in and you're out. The rain is washing away your scent. And really, you know, for those of us who, you know, like myself, I'm not using the cell cams yet. I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that side of things. Um, but maybe you've got to jump into a property. You've got to move a cam. Maybe you have a cell cam, but you've got to move it, you know, whatever. Look for those opportunities. You know, if it's a if it's a 65, 70-degree day, sunny out, you know, I, I would say if you can, you know, not that it's always possible. We have families. We have responsibilities. But if you can avoid going in on a day like that, uh, because that you know you're looking at the maximization of putting scent in the woods in. and as we've talked about before we can do everything um, that we can do to to avoid the scent dispersion in the woods but a deer's scent ability is so far superior to humans we don't realize you know that that what when we go in the woods we're putting something down we're putting even if we can eliminate as much scent as possible we're putting some pressure on that property so being smart about when you go and utilizing those those systems of rain and wind to your advantage, you know, because, hey, let's face it, you're, you're not typically going to hunt in those type of systems, um, you know, so, hey, take it to your advantage. If you have a rainy day, maybe it's season started two weeks in and you've got rain, oh, I can't go hunting, but wow, what could you do to accomplish something that's profitable that's going to lead to success down the road for you? So look for those rainy systems, those windy systems for hanging those stands, moving those trail cams, doing anything that would be profitable to set you up for success so you can really enjoy then those perfect weather days down the road. So that's that's my tip of the day for you guys and trying to be trying to use those things um, in a positive way for success as you move into the season. Such a great tip. Always think, how can I be low impact? Yes. And uh, that, that goes all the way back to when you're 
you're using things in your earliest days of scouting to even the scouting during the season. Yes. Thank you, Brandon. Now we'll yeah. go ahead and get back to part two of the show, hearing from Mr. Cole Young on targeting these mature bucks. So basically my my scouting habits have, have completely progressed as I've gotten older. I When I was in high school and college, you know, I, I was – on those bean fields i was in those crp patches you know in you know mid-august all the way till the end of september i was trying to find that deer hard horned or even in velvet and where he was at and and that helped a lot and i i mean i was meticulous when i was Mm -hmm. pretty much from when i was 18 till i was about i don't know 23 24 i mean i kept a notebook like where I sat, what the wind direction was, what the moon phase was, what the, you know, how I came into the stand, you know, <laughs> what deer I seen, when I seen them, you know, what they did, like that. I I kept. I mean, I don't know if I could still find the notebook or not, but I I kept a log of everything, and then it it kind of has transitioned into now that I'm older and I got kids, I. Basically, I'm. I mean, I I like to hunt the you know after muzzleloader season to the end of the season. I mean, that's kind of one of my favorite times to hunt. Yeah, I I think that, and we've kind of molded our farm to be extremely productive during those times because of all the work that we've done. You know, the CRP, the the food plots, and but. As you start to fade out of that season, the best time to scout, in my opinion, is that mid-March to mid-April. Yeah. Like get in there and shed hunt. Yeah, and find. And that and that is my my primary locator for 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 buck bed. Somewhat. I mean, they're going to change significantly from the rut to you know winter bedding right but i just love that time you know you get a nice day in march and that's my favorite time you know i mean i've been taking my boy out since he my oldest boy since he was probably 10 months old oh, wow. maybe, maybe even younger than that i mean he found his first shed and he could hardly walk <laughs> and it was it was a giant i mean it was a 70 74 inch side wow and we ended up we ended up finding that deer dead, but that's uh, probably another story, but that just, I mean, we walked, I mean, I probably walked 15, 20 miles with that little guy on my shoulders. You know, he, he was so tired. He just, he just lay in the leaves, you know? Yep. But, but that's kind of, it's kind of transitioned into that because now I can take, I can take the kids to go shed hunting and, you know, it, it doesn't matter if they make noise. It doesn't matter if they, you know, the little guy grabs a stick and is whacking trees for 15 <laughs> minutes. You just keep moving on. And and it's yep. fun for them to find them. I mean, my, my oldest, I mean, he's, I feel like he's got a, sort of the same competitiveness as me. He's, he's walking right next to me. He's looking for, he's trying to find them before I do. And I, it's, it's really, 
it's interesting to to think that it's come that far, but I I love it. I I'd rather shed hunt and mushroom hunt with with them than you know spend four or five days blasting the same bean field. You know, and I I'm sure that it's going to transition into that. You know, once I get a little bit older, you know, yeah. and, and they're able to you know sit somewhere for an extended period of time, but right. you know, four, three, and one and a half right now. So it's it's difficult, but you, there's no reason why you can't get them all out and, and walk around in the woods. And, you know, my, my little boy, my oldest one, heck, he'll walk through nettles to pick a mushroom. He, he does, it does not bother him whatsoever. <laughs> so, but I mean, that's kind of how my, I think that you can, you can find the most information in that March time frame. You know, when you're walking along and you haven't seen nothing for, you know, a half a mile, and all of a sudden you walk into an area where every other tree's got a rub on it. I mean, you can tell, hey, this is probably where I need to be um, mid-November. Right. Or, you know, you, you come into an area where there's grass in the timber, and it's all matted down, and yep. it just feels feels right you know you go hey i wonder if there's some bucks bedding in here and you know you might for me targeting those specific bucks you know sometimes i don't sometimes i don't figure out where they're bedding until they're five and a half or six and a half or whatever sure that's typically the range i like to kill them too because they they tend to become more centralized they tend to become more homebodies at that point they they don't move as far Sure. They know what's safe. They know what's not. And that's also a double-edged sword because you, you're three-and-a-half-year-olds, you know, they're just running rampant. They're, they're looking <laughs> yep. for anything to hop on the back of. And, right. And that might include the neighbor next door that, that doesn't have the same goals as you. And that's going to happen. Yep. I, I try to explain that to pretty much anybody that walks in my basement and goes, Holy smoke! Like, how do you kill all these deer? It's like, oh, you know, you, you gotta let some go. Yeah, and you gotta understand that you might you might walk across the road and get whacked. Yep. But and and that's just part of it. It's, and if you if you have the right mindset, you can. And it used to. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. You spotted me for sure. You know. Yeah. When you're on a different when you're on a different page than somebody else, you know. As I've gotten older, it definitely doesn't 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 bother me as much. My my skin's gotten a little bit thicker, but <laughs> it's as far as scouting goes, that's my favorite time. Is it's right there that March to April period, and then that August to September. If you can catch if you can catch that deer that that you might be after on a trail camera going into Hardhorn, and then you can you can stay with him. If you can, if you can get past that velvet stage and still continue to get pictures of them, you're you're on the right path. Yeah. You know, the, I I'd be lying if I if I said that I've gotten every deer I get pictures of velvet, I get pictures of hard horn. That that's just that's a farce. You're, you're, that's gonna happen. It, right. It, they they move, they shift, they swim a river, they are in a cornfield and it gets picked and they run the opposite direction that you yeah. thought that they were going to run it. 
I mean, they are preachers. They they do random stuff that you have no control over. And I think sometimes that's hard for people to understand, but, you know, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think that's probably another misconception people have with um, uh, hunters who have have gotten just really good at targeting specific bucks is they, they think that you must have more control on influencing that deer than what what the average hunter does but you're right you're you're just basically taking that that carefully documented data that you just mentioned and you're coming up with your best hypothesis for how you're going to cross paths with them but like you said right at, at the end of the day he might choose to go left instead of right and and he finds a new bedding area on the neighbors that he likes and doesn't mean he won't ever come back by you but he maybe his time just got cut in half that he was spending on your farm or something like that but but right and that's a great point because i mean i've had deer that i and that that is honestly my best information is watching the deer do something as a two and a half or a three and a half or even a four and a half and watching them do the same thing. And then you go back in there when it's time to kill them, when they're five and a half or six and a half, for me. And you say, you know, I have, I mean, there's some deer that I get sheds to. I have encounters with at two, three, four, and then they just, or two and three, and then they're just gone for yeah. like a whole year. And then all of a sudden, bam, at five and a half, they're back. And then you have to totally revamp your strategy. And you're like, well, you know, at three and a half, I know that this was his core area or I watched him do this. And that's the best information. The best information is getting out there and watching them do what they do. You're not going to kill a five and a half year old deer sitting in your truck, checking yourself, cell cam. And, mm. and that's how I feel. And then yeah. I, I think that trail cameras are a great tool, but at the end of the day, you can't kill them from the couch. That's so right. Yeah, I, I once heard you're somebody... You're going to get better information. You're going to get better information from, you know, sitting in the sand. Yeah, yeah. Excellent point. I once heard somebody say that, uh, I think they were saying they ran 50 cameras every year, which that, that's a lot of cameras. My wife would kill me if not only for the amount of money I would spend on that many cameras, but the amount of space it would take in the house when they weren't all out on trees. But but uh, this guy was running like 50 cameras, and he said, you know, obvi- obviously he likes to use cameras, but he made this great point. He was like, that's all old information. You know, that's 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 not the here and now. That's not telling us what that deer is doing right now. And you're exactly right, you know, the, the, that's next the, year that's right next year's information that's exactly exactly yep and and like you said you need to be out there actually observing the deer um do their things you can find their little nuances their little their little um patterns that they have as individuals that you can kind of set up a plan around and and almost make them do the work for you to uh cross paths and give you that shot opportunity so yeah that's 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 really good information there 
So kind of along those lines, obviously your method works for you. You're, you're having a lot of success with it. From from that standpoint, then as somebody who has been successful, and I know this. I think this can kind of be hard for people who are good at something to then say, okay, what what do you see that people do that makes it so they aren't good at that thing? You know, it's it's almost like, have you ever heard that some of the best coaches are the the people who, when they played that particular sport they weren't the best athlete. So in other words, they had to learn all the technique. They had to put in the hard work to to become what they are now. Whereas somebody who's just good at it, you know, they have their method that works. They might not really think about, okay, why is this work for me? So I, I understand that that could maybe be kind of a challenge here, but from your best guess, what do you think a lot of hunters do wrong when they try to maybe scout either a specific buck or a handful of bucks that they want to, you know, do the term their quote unquote shooter bucks. What's something that you see hunters do incorrectly that kind of messes it up for them down the road? I think that as much as, as a couple different points to this. So I, I think that as much as trail cameras have, you know, basically revolutionized how anybody hunts. Sure. Right. We Everybody's got a trail camera now. Right. I feel like it has done a disservice to a lot of people. I mean, if say you're hunting a tree line off of a, you know, a 200 acre block timber and you get pictures of you, some really, really good deer, but they're all at night or, yeah you just get a picture one time of this one deer. I think that people tend to really focus on that and say, you know, that that's my deer. When yeah. when really uh, that deer is primarily staying in a different area. Right. And that's why I will say I I think the trail cameras have they have been exceptionally beneficial to the hunting world, but I think at the same time they have destroyed a lot that they didn't intend to. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, that, that's that's a good point. We you, we latch you, on to that one piece of information that we have. And, right. And, and you can't you can't do that. So and then I mean the the other part of that is is I don't know if I have a great answer to that, but I just try to take I've always just tried to take the variables out, right? So you there's there's things that you can control and there's things that you can't. And right. one, one thing that you can control, you know, it, if you're gun hunting, you know, don't be one of those guys that drives around with his gun in his pickup and you don't ever shoot it. And then you walk out in the timber opening day of gun season. Yeah. And you're upset when you miss. So, yep. or, you know, like shoot your bow, go out and shoot your bow. I try to be, you know, even with three kids, I try to be, from basically middle of September to the middle of October, I try to shoot my bow three times a week. You know, I yeah. I just don't, I don't want, that's a variable you can take out, right? Right. So, so do that right. And then there's, there's other things that you can learn, right? So if you say you're walking into a set and you bump a good buck, you know, don't, 
don't do that again, right? Yeah. Find another way in. So just just learn from your mistakes, basically. I mean, I've done that a dozen times, you know. It, I mean, even hanging and hunting, you know, you walk into an area and you're like, man, this is a good tree. Then you get to looking at it and you're like, ooh, that's a really good tree. And you walk another 50 yards and pretty soon the deer you're after is 75 yards ahead of you with his tail in the air. Yeah. So you you gotta you gotta learn from what you're doing wrong and that's how i've done it i mean it sounds bad but you gotta learn the hard way and yeah. i think that's true with with most things you know but yeah. that's... as far as as far as somebody starting out i the only things that i have to say is you know i I've made the mistake. Don't think that somebody with a bunch of 160 plus deer on the wall are just, you know, knocking it out of the park every year. You know, I, I had like a nine, 10 year stretch between 170 inch bow kills. Like I, I lost two deer. I had some really bad years. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it doesn't just happen. Like I think that that's, Another thing that people tend to focus on is, you know, they, they watch, you watch outdoor shows and, you know, you think like, holy cow, these guys are just smacking giants every year. But, yeah. you know, it, it probably wasn't always like that. Right. It, there's definitely a, but at the same point, it's, there's a silver lining to it. You know, if you, if you work your tail off and you, you, if you're persistent and you do the right things and, and learn from the mistakes that you make, you know, you, you can be successful. Right. That's, that's, uh, that's such valuable information there. When you, when you think about the importance of learning from our failures and, and again, that kind of goes back to the theme of, well, if you're going to have failures, that means you got to be out in the field, right? You can't, you, you can't make, you can't learn from those failures. Like you mentioned earlier, from just being on the couch watching the cell camera you know you gotta you gotta be out in the field seeing what it's like when you bump a deer seeing learning what kind of daylight um uh makes that less possible of happening i mean you could it could it could be pitch black and you could be totally invisible but your scent could be blowing right at them or something like that well once again, another lesson learned. Gotta gotta pay attention to what the wind's doing before you go in, or or um, maybe you just have really a really bad axis plan in place. You know, you're taking uh, the shortcut when in reality you should take the longer route that that uh, makes makes you far less likely to be detected on your way into your stand. Whatever it is. Um, Learning from those mistakes, I, I think you you hit it right right on there with how important that is for for giving us our education into how to pursue these these um, old mature bucks because there <laughs> there's a reason they're still alive, right? They they're just good at they're good at maximizing on the shortcomings of their predators, so. Great, great tip there. Um, when it comes time for, um, 
you know, I assume you don't just go out and hunt your best stands every day of the season. So what kind of factors are you looking for when when you're like, all right, today's going to be a kill day. Today's going to be a day where I, I'm going to get a crack at this buck. So I'm going to... I'm going to absolutely do whatever it takes to be in the stand on this day. How do you really decide that, I guess, is what, I, is what I'm asking. How do you decide when that time is appropriate for going in after that deer? Yeah, so I don't, I don't, know, whether, I don't know whether I decide what days or kill days. I feel like if you're not out there, if you're not walking to the stand to kill one, or, I mean, even, I mean, there are times when, when I, when I think, well, this is probably more, I'm a big fan of observation stands, you know, yeah. I, whereas I, I guess I should say that a, a good day for me is, is eyes, eyes on a good one. You know, if, if I can, if I can get eyes on one of the deer I'm after, like, that's a good day for me. Sure. But I, I mean, I tend to pick the nasty days, you know, it, if it's raining in October, forget it. I'm in the stand. <laughs> I don't care if I'm drenched. That's for me, rain or like a drizzle. I mean, I ain't talking like a thunderstorm morning. I'm talking like if it's a, if it's a nice light rain, that's probably my favorite time to hunt. Huh. That's I, interesting. I absolutely love it. And I've seen some really, really good deer from the stand in the rain, even a, I mean, even straight downpour. And I, I tend to think of it as something like, uh, kind of, I mean, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where there's a ton of factors, right? So, so you gotta, you gotta think about it. Like, am I hunting every single cold front? No. Am I hunting every single, you know, moon phase? No. Am I, am I hunting the rut every day? No, I'm, I'm just trying. And that's probably something that I've learned more as I've gotten kids and, you know, my, you know, my, my career has advanced and, you know, you, you, you tend to try to maximize your time. So I, I love that October 25th, to November 5th area, or even a little later than that. I, I love that time frame. I want to see them bucks searching and trying to lock down those first hot does. I, that's the, in my opinion, that's the best time to be in the woods. And, mm. but I, I also really like that. I like that factor, you know, late, you know, mid December where like almost all the does are bred and those bucks are searching for food. Like they, they gotta come to food right. or they're gonna die. You know, that kind of thing. Right. I I love I love that time frame a lot. So I would say as far as I'm concerned, I'm I'm really not a rut hunter. I I I mean I got what, like nine deer on the wall and I don't know if I've ever shot one after November I I don't know if I've ever shot one after November fifth to the end of the month. Wow. I don't know if I've ever shot a deer in between that period. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just not a rut hunter. I think that I, I know that, you know, a lot of things that you read tell you that's the best chances. And, 
that's when you're going to see the most deer. And that's just not necessarily my experience. I tend to, I mean, I, I kill, I mean, I probably killed more deer in, well, I've killed the, the two, I take that back. The only deer that I've killed in that time frame is my booner, but that was a bit of a fluke. Yeah. And I will admit that. (laughs) (laughs) It was, that, that was a, it was fog that you couldn't even see through. And he just, I mean, ran up 10 feet from my stand. Wow. Like it, it, it paid off because I let that deer go as a 155 inch deer at, you know, 25 yards with a gun the year before. But anyways, I, I feel like my, the times when I see the most bucks are that October, end of October into early November and they're searching and there's competition and they're, you can call, they're, they're able to be called that because I love, I love to call it deer. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. So that's why, you know, end of October, I'm, I'm in the stand as many days as I can be in there. I don't care. There, there comes a time when, when weather and the moon phase and anything you've got going on doesn't matter. I just, I mean, it could be 75 and sunny on a, in the, in, you know, towards the end of October. And, you know, if my wife's watching the kids, I might be like, you know what, I'm going to go try it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's, that's another thing where I think that maybe some people, there's so much out there to read and listen to nowadays. I, I think that people maybe get, get a little stuck on that. Yeah. They're like, yeah, no, I, I shouldn't be hunting right now. Yeah. But, and you know what? For, for all it's worth, if you, if you got time and you want to hunt, just, just go hunt. Right. It, it's that, it's that simple. It sounds silly, but it is, it's that simple. If you want to go and you got the time, go hunt. Don't barge into a bedroom, but, you know, go hunt a stand. I'm a big fan of, of observation stands, you know, where I can see two, 300 yards. Right. And I feel like that's, that's kind of my, call it like my bird dog mentality. Like my, the guy that I guide for, he always tells me that the more ground the dog covers, the more birds you find. So yeah, that's true. So, so if that's my mentality with deer hunting, the more ground I can cover, the more deer I'm going to find. Yeah. So that, that time period, that end of October, I'm sitting over wide open CRP most, most of the time. And I'm just trying to narrow it down. You know, if I, if I see a buck do one thing one day, then it's time to move in because they're, they're creatures of habit. They do something one time. They're more than likely going to do it another time. And you just, that's, you got to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really good information. And it's, it's a good reminder too, because I, I've noticed that same thing and it's, I, I think it is kind of frustrating when you see, you know, you see people turn their nose up at certain times of hunting. You know, they're like, oh, you hunt the October lull or 
you're really going to go hunt mornings? What a waste of time. And like you said, you know, if you want to, if you want to go hunting, let's not forget what the main, you know, underlying purpose for hunting in the modern world. Yeah. We, we like to talk about how we, we like to have, you know, organic, um, game meat to use and, and, and whatnot, but we don't truly need that aspect of it. We could easily go to the store and, and well, except for when, when, uh, everything goes crazy during COVID, but most of the time we can easily go to the store, get, get the meat that we need. And, and, um, you know, in fact, most people live their entire lives without ever hunting. So that's not really the, that's, that's a good reason to go hunting, but that's not really the bottom line. Why, why people in the modern age hunt the people in the modern age hunt because they like hunting you know it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be something that's a little bit of an escape from the stress and strain of regular life and so i think you're exactly right if you feel like you're gonna you feel like you just want to go hunting even though like you said all the information out there that that we consume would say wow that's a really bad day to go hunting well, then maybe just, like you said, find that observational stand and, and, and just kind of, I guess, I guess, uh, respond to the urge to, to be out in the field and, and, uh, go out and enjoy it. And, and, um, you know, don't make it something that's so rigid that, you know, you can't really enjoy it and you put too much pressure on yourself. So yeah, really helpful tip there. Well, as we uh, kind of draw to an end here, I don't want to go too far in depth here because I am planning to, uh, as, as long as you're willing, have you back on the show and talk about something else that I know you're really passionate about with whitetail hunting, and that's managing your properties for maximizing your deer herd's potential, both age class-wise and numbers-wise and health of the herd and everything else. And so I, I, I definitely want to give that huge of a topic um, its own platform, I guess, by having a whole episode dedicated to that. But just maybe in a, I don't know, brief like three-minute synopsis here or something, how are you managing your farms to make it, to, to improve your chances of having these run-ins with these really old, you know, like you mentioned, some of those seven and a half year old bucks you've killed, is there anything you're doing from a management side to uh, make that more likely? Yeah, so I think that our, I mean, the main right. So, so uh, I mean, bottom line, our main goal is five and a half plus. I mean, right. if you, I think that, so you, you're going to get different answers wherever you go. I mean, there are guys that'll tell you that four and a half or is 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 where you should shoot them, and you got guys that say three and a half. Well, I think that if you've hunted enough three and a half and four and a half year old deer, you, you'll understand that at five and a half. I mean, you're hunting a totally different animal, and we, I think, uh, most of that's basically ingrained in me through my dad. I mean, sure. as as a fifteen year old kid. You know, I shot like a two and a half year old nine point and I just was tickled and he's like, Yeah, ain't that big. <laughs> and and he wasn't trying to be mean. Right. But we were kind of 
on the forefront, you know. I mean, we we were doing that management thing back in 2003, you know. I mean, I mean, wow. I mean, just before anybody in the area for sure, and then you know, before a lot of the people that you know are even having some serious time on like Outdoor Channel or anything like that. And I'm not, I'm not bragging it up. I'm just saying that's where, kind of where we were at. And that I feel like is what kind of drives me to, to do that. And, sure. and seeing the result is, I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? So yeah, <laughs> I think in the last, oh, I'm 31 and I shot that first year when I was 18. So you're talking 13 years. And I think in those 13 years, between me, my dad, and my brother, I think we've killed something like 14 deer over, I think all of them, with the exception of like two, are over 150. Wow. And all of, That's all nuts. Of them are, all of them are five and a half plus. And, I mean, if you do, if you do any QDMA research, it, everything says, you know, peak antler growth is between five and a half and eight and a half. And there, and it is crazy because you get deer that, you know, you're like, man, they're going to blow up and then they do nothing. And then you get deer that are like, eh, I don't know what he's going to do. And then he blows up. And then you get deer that just steadily grow. I mean, like my booner from two and a half to six and a half or seven and a half, whenever I killed him, I mean, it was just a step. It was like, 10, 15 inches a year. Like wow. just that bit, just a little bit at a time. And like the deer I killed this year with a bow, I mean, he went from 130 inch or 140 inch to 170. Holy cow. And, I mean, you, you get deer like that, that just blow up. Or yeah. the other deer that I killed that was just an old warrior, you know, we had all sorts of sheds to him and he was like eight and a half years old. Nope, he didn't do nothing his whole life. Yeah. He was just a big fat bully. <laughs> and, like it, and that's that's part of it that I love. Like I love that. I love not knowing. I love not knowing. Like I love seeing that deer as a two and a half year old. Be like, hmm, I wonder what you're gonna do. Or, you know, seeing that amazing three year old, and you're like, man you're going to blow into a giant, you know, and then they, you know, maybe something happens. Maybe they get a horn in their side and, and they don't like, that's the thing. That's what, I mean, that from a management standpoint, that is, that is what I love to watch. I, I love to see, I, I just think that they, I mean, I have enough respect for the animal to, to say, you know, I, I just want to see them get to that five and a half year old range and um, it's probably what we will continue to do because it, it's really worked for us and sure it's, it's what we're after you know and it's it's that whole i think it's i think it's hard for people to do that though i think it's hard for people to look at a 140 inch three-year-old and be like oh, man if i let him go he's just gonna walk over the neighbors and get shot you know, well, yeah. maybe you won't. Maybe he walks over to the neighbors and lives all year, and then he comes back and lives on your farm his whole life as a four-year-old. You know, yeah. 
and it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's it's hard. It's hard to get past. But if you want to get into that caliber of deer, that's what you have to do. And that's kind of the bottom line. I mean, if uh, my 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 dad's rule is, I mean, if you if you want to shoot a 180, you can't shoot a 170. And that's what he that's what he always tells me. And so, yeah. I mean, it it's sort of ridiculous, but it's, that's how he explains it to me. I'm not going to let a 170 walk just for anybody <laughs> listening right now. But it, if I tend to have that rule with 150 inches, I mean, unless sure. you're an eight pointer, I'm not shooting 150 inches because I can't shoot 160 incher and if I shoot a 150. Right. And, and that 10 pointer that's 150 is probably going to be a boon in the next year. Yeah. If something crazy doesn't happen. Right. Which tends to happen. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the, the what ifs are, are so, there's, I mean, what if they get hit by a car? What if yeah. the coyote gets them? What if they get PhD? You know what? Yep. But that's the stuff that you got to get past, and you got to just be, you got to be strong-headed and, and say, you know, I'm just not gonna do it. It's, it comes down to perspective and discipline. If you really truly want to shoot 100, I I think 160 is the cutoff. Like if you want, if you truly want to shoot a 160 plus, you got to have some serious discipline. Yeah, and and really, you know, be mentally tough. But like I said previously, you know, I it didn't start out like that, right? Yeah. So you get, it, it, to put that in perspective a little bit, like I I know I don't I don't want anybody to listen to this and be like, well, you know, this kid's telling me to not to shoot anything under one fifty. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying perspective wise. If you've never shot a 110-inch deer, shoot a 110-inch deer. Shoot it. Right. If you've never shot a 120-inch deer, do the same. All the way up. And if you're happy shooting Pope and Young deer every year, go for it. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And that's basically my philosophy since I had kids is just, you know, do what makes you happy. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's the bottom line, you know. Yeah, I think that's that's really wise to say that. And, you know, kind of to add to what you're saying, those are all just really good points for try, trying to establish those large deer on your property and having that discipline to have a kind of a minimum cutoff for yourself just to prevent you from taking a deer that could have really turned into something huge down the road. I heard from a guy I know who... Um, uh, is like a, a land manager for whitetails. And, and um, he once mentioned that one of his reasons for not killing deer, and I can't remember what his cutoff was. I think it was either four or five. For not killing deer that are at minimum that age class is his deer herd on his property remains relatively low pressure. You know, if they if they, they have never had an arrow flung at them until they're five and a half years old, well, they're going to be a whole lot less, you know, leery when they're they're coming through the timber. 
Whereas if if every deer has been shot at multiple times by the time they're three and a half, four years old, they're going to be pretty, they're going to be walking around with eyes wide open, right? They're going to be jumpy. They're going to, they're going to try to prevent that negative interaction from happening again. But if you do what Cole's saying, well, then those deer don't even know what it's like to be shot at yet. If you give them that chance to, to make it to that point. But again, that type of management for a deer herd isn't for everyone and probably is, is really only for people like Cole who have a lot of experience and, you know, have that discipline to, to wait for those shots. But it's based off of those good outcomes in the past that have, that have kind of almost made that possible for him. So I, I think you're, I think you're spot on there with, you know, what? practice that little bit of conservation let that let that deer get a little bit older and and i really like what your dad said if you want a 180 you can't shoot a 170 that is a blunt but very truthful statement well man as it it took a it took a 172 to to make my dad go that's a pretty big deer (laughs) (laughs) that's the perspective you can put it in well, you know, you know, someday the the deer that he does consider to be like a a, a giant is going to walk out in front of him, and and uh, it'll be the biggest "told you so" moment that that uh, he's ever had. So. Oh yeah, I hope it. I hope it happens. I swear to God. I, and that's you know, as you get older, like I mean, even just like there's there's friendly competition, no doubt between me and my brothers and my dad. But now now that we've all gotten older, I just. Like it's a group thing, you know, like I, if, as soon as I hear, if I ever hear my dad shoot, I'm like pumped, you know, and that's, that's the whole other part of this, you know, you got, you got to be excited for, for everybody, you know, and if, if, if you're not, you're, you're not in it, you're you're not out there hunting for the same reasons I am. And that's, that's the way that it should be. I mean, I mean, I, I, to me, my dad or my brother shooting a 150 or 160 inch deer, or even just just an old deer, you know, just shooting a five year old, like that's that's good enough for me. That's what I consider a you know a good season. You know, if we can collectively as a group shoot one or two deer at the top of our list, doesn't matter who shoots them. Like that's that's a good year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's the right attitude to have enjoy enjoy other people's successes just like you enjoy your own for sure well man as we uh we close up here what would be one go-to tip like what is your thing that you always do or that you kind of learned early on and you've been perfecting it ever since that just really seems to help you find success either locating deer killing deer um, locating mature bucks. What's what would be like one tip you would give our audience? Oh man, that's tough. I I'll tell you what. My my favorite things to do are just observe from a distance. Hmm. I think that I think that setting up. I mean, it's it's so it's pretty easy to set up a. I mean, d- depending no matter what property you hunt, it it's easy to set a stand and say you know what? I don't think I'm going to bump any deer from here. Right. 
and I be able to see a lot. I, I tend to lean pretty heavily on observation type stance. And I don't know, other than that, I would just say, you know, don't, my, my biggest tip would be just don't, you use the resources you have, but don't dwell on them. Don't, don't put a trail camera out and check it and then say, oh, I got, I got no, no good bucks on here. I don't even have a reason to hunt. Like, it, don't, don't do that. It, if, if that's what you want to do, then, then you have no business being in the woods anyways. Right. So use, you know, use the information that you can capture. But at the end of the day, just get, just get out there and hunt. And that's what makes me happy. So if, <laughs> if that don't make you happy, then I, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm just as happy seeing two or three does a night as I am seeing a whole parade of bachelor bucks. And yeah. I don't know. It, it, as the, the older you get, the the more that type of perspective comes into. And I, don't get me wrong, I, as a younger generation hunter, I was very much, I would get, get irritated, you know, if I made the wrong choice or I didn't, or I bumped deer, or I didn't come into something the right way. I And that's how you learn. You, you learn through failure. Yeah. Just like anything else. Just go out there and, and uh, do what makes you happy, shoot what makes you happy, and, you know, just don't waste it. It's a gift. Don't waste it. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself, man. That's, that's such a huge tip. And especially for, for newer hunters, but also for older hunters as they're trying to help new hunters, you know, I think they could, they could take what you just said and if they could find a way to communicate that to newer hunters, man, what a, what a gift to give somebody that outlook and really in a way almost like peace of mind, you know, that it's not this thing that everyone's judging you over and that, um, you need to be so hyper focused on, like you said, you know, only seeing those those bachelor groups with, you know, four uh, bucks of, you know, 150 class and better, you know, that's almost treating it the wrong way when you when you um only are satisfied by it from from that standpoint. So, for sure, for sure. Well, Cole. It's getting late, man. Yeah, I know you got uh you got uh three kids to probably chase around yet and put into bed. I think my wife already got our kids into bed, so I'm I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, mine are all snoozing, buddy. That's, that's good, man. Vet, veteran dad. <laughs> <laughs> veteran dad. Yep, that's 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 uh that's always a nice feeling. I'm gonna pay for that. I'm gonna pay for that tomorrow. You know that, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. No, there's no such thing as as like a free favor. There's there's brownie points go both ways. But but um thanks so much man for coming on the show and and for sharing truly your your expertise and I'm really stoked to see what what you're chasing after this year. You got to give us like I mean I know you got to be a little careful cuz 
people, you know, when they see like trail cam pictures, they're like, hmm, I know where he hunts. <laughs> but if you can like leak out a little bit of information of some of the bucks you're chasing, I'd love to see them. But maybe that maybe that just gets limited to a text message or something. But I'll give you a, I'll give you a teaser or two. Yeah, good, 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 good. I'll give you something. Good, good. I'm really, I'm really pumped. Yeah, I when I was looking at some of the deer you killed and and even the one I heard about in that other interview we were talking about that you did, it was, was like, wow, this this guy knows how to find them. So I'm I'm excited to see what you do this fall. I'm excited to take some of the stuff that you mentioned tonight even and and put it right into how I want to approach this 2020 deer season and um, hopefully i'll be able to report back to you and say hey man thanks for the tip <laughs> so hey if i can help if i can help somebody that's all that i mean it's all that matters really. i mean i'm just trying to just trying to help anybody that's younger that you know maybe is feeling the same things that i felt you know there's there's pressure i think there's i kind of watched the whole hunting I mean, I, I watched everything evolve, right? So when yeah. I when I was probably fifteen, you know, I was watching like VHS Drury videos. Yeah. And that was it. That's right. all there was. Right. And now it's just like you can just get on Facebook and you can follow twenty five pages that give you all this information. And I just would encourage anybody who's listening to this just you take that with a grain of salt. You know, just yeah. go out and do whatever you got to find yourself in this whole thing instead of yep trying to make trying to become the Drury brothers or whoever so yep that's that's once again really wise advice do it do what works for you find what 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 is going to make you successful but most importantly what's going to lead to you enjoying hunting as much as you possibly can so thanks again cole really looking forward to uh, getting you back on the show in the future hopefully brandon will be able to join us then i'm sure he had a bunch of questions he wanted to ask you tonight but um we'll have to we'll have to wait on that so yeah coming up soon we're hoping to have cole come on and 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 uh talk a little bit more about some of his management strategies but also uh, kind of a totally different topic but something that Cole and I uh, share a passion in, and that's uh, running our bird dogs. And uh, I'd love to get get some uh, good advice from from Cole on what he does in the upland world, and and uh, what he does with his bird dogs. So be be keeping your nose to the wind for uh, more stuff coming from from uh, Mr. Cole Young here, the big buck slaying magician. How's that for a title? Maybe, maybe. Oh man, don't put me on a pedestal. You're gonna jinx me. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I don't know. I think you got enough history to overcome my jinx. So, well, maybe, but don't need no bad juju. You know. That's right. That's right. I'll. I'll uh, <laughs> maybe I'll have to reel that one in a little bit. But no, I. I I'm. Uh, I'm confident you're having a, another great year, and and you, you know I think everything we talked about tonight. Uh, shows that yeah you love killing big bucks but that's not what it's all about to you either 
you know, and when that's your attitude, you honestly cannot lose, you know, when you have that attitude of, hey, a, a, a disappointing day of hunting or a bad day of hunting is always better than a good day of working, you'll never be let down going out to the tree stand. <laughs> so, Very true. Very true. Well, you take it easy, man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Kent. Wow, that was some excellent information from a true expert in the field. As I like to say, the proof is in the pudding. And that pretty much applies to all fields where you're dealing with an expert. You just look at their body of work and it supports everything they're saying. And that is certainly true here with Cole Young. Make sure, make sure, make sure you don't just think this is only for someone who's trying to target a really old, mature, um, ancient buck this this stuff goes right in line with finding any deer you know you got to get in where the deer are and as cole pointed out you can't always just do that from the cell cam or from even just looking at cards you pulled from your trail cam you got to get in there and you got to hunt and see what deer do beyond that though make sure you fill your head with all the other great hunting info at firstgenhunter.com while you're there, start looking around at the social media pages and YouTube channel I have as well. Please like, follow, and subscribe to all these other content avenues to get an extra behind-the-scenes look at what all goes on here at First Gen Hunter. Please also take the time to drop us a review for the podcast. It's a tremendous help to us. And one final request, head over to thehuntfishlife.com and give Brandon and his team a follow and a like. And you can even jump in and check out some of the new gear they have in the HFL store. And there are some rumblings of a HFL vlog firing up here soon. So make sure you get on the bandwagon in time to enjoy all the great stuff they're sharing. I greatly appreciate each of you tuning in. And I can't wait to share this hunting season with you. But in these final days of waiting, be sure to make plans to take care and to take someone hunting. <laughs>